came to a realization late last night, um, and um, just thought I'd share it here as we kind of get going here. I have, as of today, I have no kids that I can tell you how old they are on one hand. So our littlest one turned six today. So if you see her, tell her happy birthday. Uh, isn't that cute? Yes. Um, what, there, there's, a, there's a story behind all of that. And the story is, if you haven't been around church over the past four years, four years ago we celebrated her second birthday in the ICU at Texas Children's. And uh, in light of some of the craziness that has been, like this particular three or four week run here in July, it always weighs a little heavy around us. But at the same time, we, we look at that and we say, man, look at all the things that God did uh, to get her. And so one of the things that I've learned in, in, over the past several years, watching her, she's a great model for this. If you don't know our little list, um, she grabs every moment of, of life like and, and just embraces it. There's no halfway with her. If she's sad, it's like the world has come to an end, okay? If she's mad, it's full-on volcano. And if she's happy, there are unicorns and rainbows that just come shooting out all the time. It's amazing. Every moment she just grabs on. And as a dad, um, I kind of watch this and I see this, but I'm also trying to learn from a little bit to embrace it, to say, hey man, God's given us these opportunities. Let's, let's lay hold of them. Let's seize these. Let, let's be a part of, of wrapping our arms around them, kind of embracing them um, to the full, if you will, making the most of every moment, taking advantage of every opportunity. And so it's, it's with that particular mindset, that whole, I'm going to embrace this moment, um, that I want to step into the text today because really we the story that's out in front of us today is about a guy who did exactly that. Just The story's about Philip, just to catch you up. Acts chapter 6, there's seven guys who are named deacons in the first church. This is one of those guys. Um, we hear about Stephen first, an important voice in the church, and he becomes the first martyr in the church. And then we see Philip in Acts chapter 8, the early part of Acts chapter 8, take the gospel to Samaria. Now that's important because Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll receive power, and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and into the ends of the earth. And so we see God using Philip to take the gospel to Samaria. And then we're going to pick up this uh, uh, story up where Philip again is just leaning into what God has for him, saying yes to what God has for him, embracing the moment. And this is where we start. Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot and he was reading the prophet Isaiah and the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him, heard him reading the prophet and asked him, do you understand what you're reading? I want to stop there and think about two words this morning. Um, the first one is the word obedience. I want to simply offer this. I had this conversation, I think a couple of weeks ago. Hey, man, like, I want, I want our church to see the things that God did in the book of Acts. And I'm like, me too. I'm in for that. Who's down for that? I mean, anybody? Hello? I mean, does anybody want to be a part of seeing God do some of the things that he did in the book of Acts? This section right here, anybody down for that? Yes, let's be a part. And so here's the question that I think comes rolling back toward us. 
Man, I want to be a part. Awesome. Do we obey and pray and give and serve the way that they did in the book of Acts? Because if we do that, then we can expect God to do big things too, right? I mean, that's, that's just part of it. We will be in a position to see God do some pretty amazing things. It all starts where? With our obedience. And I say that to say, to to kind of point out a couple of things here. Um, Number one, you should not, in your obedience to God, you should not count on it being easy or safe or familiar. Aren't you glad you came to church for some encouragement? I mean, you got wet in the parking lot, and now just... Don't count on it being easy, safe, or familiar. I'm telling, that, telling you that now because I think oftentimes God does it in a way that's not easy, safe, or familiar. But when he does, when it is somewhat easy or somewhat safe or somewhat familiar, then guess what? We go, oh, that was easy or safe or I've done that before. Um, but, but if we're kind of counting on it not being any of those things, then when he says something crazy like go down to the road to Gaza, um, we'll just pick up and go like Philip did. Twice, twice. God says, go do this. And it wasn't easy, it wasn't safe, and it wasn't familiar for Philip. And you know what he did? He obeyed. He obeyed. It wasn't easy. He says, go down to the Gaza road uh, that's going from Jerusalem to Gaza. And at the end of verse 26, this is a what? A desert place. Desert place. This is not a fun place. There's no amusement park ride. This is no moment of, of uh, uh, you know, with a lazy river. Or anything. This is a desert place. There are times when God will speak to you, speak to me, and we, he will say things that we think, huh, I'm not sure that that's going to be awesome right there. That's not going to be easy. Deserts are hard. They're hot. They're often lonely. But nonetheless, God at times moves us there. And if that's you, if God's spoken to you and you're like, hey, I think God has said something to me that sounds a little bit similar to that, here's what I want to encourage you with. The people of Israel were rescued from Egypt and sent into the desert. Elijah had this awesome moment where he, uh, 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 God rained down fire and, and he killed all the prophets of Baal, this huge victorious thing in the Old Testament. And then where did he go? To the desert. Jesus himself was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted. If you feel like, I think God has said something to me, and I'm not sure that it's going to be easy. It feels like a desert. I just want you to know you're in good company. People of Israel, some cat named Elijah, Jesus the Son of God. I think there are times when God moves us to those places. But here's the thing about deserts. They are the places of revelation and God's movement such that we, uh, the things that we learn and encounter that, guess what? God uses those things and he gives us stories to tell that affect generations. Don't expect it to be easy. Sometimes he sends you into the desert. Don't expect it to be safe. You got Philip. Go down to the road. He's like, okay, it's hot down here. Now, go down to that chariot. Now, you saw here, we'll describe him again here in just a second, but this guy's the treasurer for Candace, the queen of Egypt. I'm just thinking, if that guy's rolling in a chariot, he's not riding by himself. Who's with me on that? Like, there are some dudes and some sunglasses and some suits kind of surrounding him, secret service-like. So when Philip comes up on the chariot, not only does he physically have to catch up with the chariot... But then, like, Secret Service is like, we got a guy approaching on the other side. He looks weird. I mean, like, 
what are you saying? It's not safe. In addition to the awkward part of, hey, chariot. I, I mean, in addition to all of that, you're rolling up on a guy who, who probably has some sort of protection. In our minds, there are times when God is not only going to ask us to do something that's not easy, but there are times when it won't necessarily be safe. And it definitely, not always, but, but it, it won't always be familiar. Why is that important? Luke takes a lot of words to describe this guy. Look at verse, uh, excuse me, verse 27. He, Philip rose and went. And there was, here we go, he starts with an Ethiopian. Folks, he is not a Hebrew. He is of a different race. Okay? He looked different. He talked, he was different than Philip. An Ethiopian. Then he says, a eunuch. People uh, who were eunuchs in Hebrew, in the Hebrew mindset, they, they were they were separated socially. They weren't able to participate fully in temple worship and all this stuff. They they were kind of a different sect of society. Then he goes on, uh, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. So now you've got Philip, probably a blue collar guy like a fisherman, because that's what tended to happen early uh, in the church. And then you've got the treasurer of Egypt. White collar, full on. So they're separated by race. They're separated by social uh, standing and class. And they're separated by vocation. There's nothing familiar about this. As a church, I just think that there are times when God says to us, let's rise and go. Let's, let's go down to this place. Let's go talk to these people. And they may be different than us, but they are still our responsibility in some manner. Responsible for what? Responsible to lead them to say yes to knowing and enjoying and serving Jesus together along with us. That's kind of us broadly. What about you personally? Has God ever said something to you? It has maybe even right now. Has, is there a place in your life where you have heard God clearly but have not yet obeyed? Well, God told me to serve in this particular way, and I'm like, eh, it's not easy, safe, or familiar, God, so I'm not so sure. Um, God told me that there's this relationship in my life that needs some input from Him. Maybe it's drawing away, or maybe it's drawing closer, or maybe it's making uh, reprioritizing where it sits. But uh, there's a forgiveness issue in this relationship, whatever. There, there is something that God has said to me about this relationship that I must now respond to. My emotional life's a wreck, and I need to bring it in line with God's truth. And He's spoken to me about how I need to go about doing that. I just haven't taken that step. There, there are things that will help me grow spiritually that God has spoken to. Hey, take up prayer, take up uh, fasting, take up something else. And, and yet, I have not responded to Him. I know that it would be good for me, but I haven't done that. Oh, well, God said something to me about my money and how I manage it because I just live my life like it's all mine. And God has spoken to me about that, but yet I'm. I'm Still just holding on like, like I'm, I'm the one in charge. Instead of allocating and as God has decided uh, and, and said his best, I'm just kind of doing it uh, my own way. Or um, maybe there's something else. Like I, God has spoken to me about an area of my life where, where purity or impurity is an issue. And God is giving input to that. And he has, he has commanded something. And yet still, I'm just holding on. Saying, eh. 
I don't know. Has God spoken to you personally about something and you have yet to obey? It won't be easy. Don't count on it being easy. Don't count on it being safe. Don't count on it being familiar. Here's what you can count on. This is a caution. You can count on Jesus asking for your comfort. Again, one more time. Aren't you excited you came to church? Isn't that great? You're welcome. You can count on Jesus to ask for your comfort. Why? Because what happens here is that as Jesus does so, what there, there are things that we can only know and experience when we are outside of our comfort zone. So much of suburbia is about our protection and our security. And God often looks at that little bubble and sticks a pin in it and it goes away just as easily as it formed. Poof! And we figure out, boy, that wasn't worth banking on in the first place. Instead, we can just join God and work, let Him work on us outside of our comfort zone. There are things that we can only know and experience when we are not in our comfort zone, when we are outside of it. There, just Here's a for instance. There is one single human, one, one, who knows what it's like to have water turn solid under his feet. Peter. You know where he figured that out? When he walked on water to Jesus. If it's me, I like boats better than trying to walk on water. Who's with me? But yet, he knows what it's like to find water to be solid. There are things that we can only know and experience when we are outside of our comfort zone. There are lessons that we can only learn when we are outside of our comfort zone. There are things that, I mean, you've had this moment before where God has walked you through a situation. He has moved you through a set of circumstances or some problem or some challenge. You've got to get over some mountain. And there are things where you're like, I would not wish that upon anybody, but man, I'm glad I'm, the other, I'm, glad I'm on the other side of it. Why? Because I have learned some things that I would not have learned any other way. We are six weeks, church family. We are six weeks about from the year anniversary of Harvey. Who wants to go through that? Nobody does, right? But there are things that we have learned along the way, personally, corporately, that we would say that that is the only way I think we probably could have learned that. Not only lessons and not only experiences, but listen, there are shapes, contours, if you will, of your soul that only get shaped when you are outside of your comfort. There are things that God does, ways that he presses and molds you and me that only happen outside of our comfort zone. So if you think to yourself, well, if I, don't, if I obey, but I don't count on being easy, familiar, safe, and, and uh, you know, I can just, what I can count on is Jesus asking for my comfort. Why in the world would I do this? Why sign up for this? And the answer is, first of all, because your allegiance is to Jesus and not your comfort. Church, let's, let's be the people whose allegiance is to Jesus and not our comfort. And secondly, you've heard me say this before if you've been around much. The only, I mean, yes, following Jesus has a high price. It's true. The only higher price you pay is when you don't follow. 
So let's be a people who lean into obedience. And like Philip, we, we're leaning in. God says to do it, we rise and go. He says to move, we go down. Obedience. The story gets better from here. Because what happens is the, the obedience of Philip opens up a door of opportunity. So one more time. Philip was obedient and it opened up a door of opportunity. Had he delayed, he would have missed the opportunity. Church family, look at me. If you delay your obedience, that's called disobedience. And you will miss the opportunities that God desires for you to have. Verse 30 again. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. They often read out loud during that time. Especially if you're bumping along in a chariot, it's hard to read to yourself. And they asked, do you understand what you're reading? Verse 31, he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. This is from Isaiah 53. Like a sheep that he, uh, he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he opens not his mouth in his humiliation. Justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. His obedience opened the door for opportunity. Um, and it happens that way. Why? Because God's at work out there. And when we obey him, what he allows us to do through our obedience is join him. Philip encountered a man who was hungry for something that he didn't know anything about. This week, you will bump into people who are hungry for something that they don't know anything about. They may not even be able to put words to it. They may not, their, their articulation may be so whacked and off, but they will be hungry for something that they do not know anything about. And for Philip... The invitation that I think he, that God through Philip is offering to us, given to us, is that we would seize that opportunity. And when we do, a couple of things about that. Number one, seizing the opportunity demands that we share who Jesus is. If our obedience opens the door for opportunity, then, then that seizing that opportunity demands that we share who he is. How do we go about doing that? Number one, ask good questions. Do you see what Philip did back in 31, uh, excuse me, verse 30, at the end of verse 30? Do you understand what you're reading? People have a book in their lap, you can just ask, hey, what you reading there? What if they're not reading anything? Uh, that's fine. You can continue to ask about themselves. You can be engaged in conversation as God opens up a door uh, and, and you walk through it in obedience. You can continue to be in conversation with people. You ask them about themselves, they love to talk about. You ask them about their kids, they love to talk about their kids. How, well, how do you know? Do you like to talk about your kids? Yes, you do. Therefore, everybody likes. Well, what, do you, what about your job? Tell me about this. You just kind of move through the normal conversation. And what you'll find is when people start, um, when you, you know, kind of the, the superficial layers, if you will, kind of get peeled off, people are basically circling. They're orbiting around one of five questions. Number one, what's real? They want to know what's, what, what is reality. What's actually real? Not just faux real, but I mean like what's real? What's reality? Secondly, they want to know who, who's well off in the world. Thirdly, they ask a question, uh, you know, one of the questions they orbit around goes something like this. Who's really a good person? 
Because who's well off and who's a good person aren't always the same thing. Fourthly, especially in our world, our kind of pragmatic Western society, how do I become a good person? Go to Barnes & Noble, you sit there and we look at the self-help section that's about four aisles wide. Guess what? They're asking, they're orbiting their lives around that question. How do I become a good person? And fifthly, what in the world do I do with all the evil and suffering in the world? What do I do with that? Here's the great thing about that. When you ask good questions and, and you kind of figure out of which one of these they're orbiting around, I've got great news. There is, you and I, we know somebody who has the best possible answers to those questions. You want to know what reality is? Jesus has spoken about the kingdom of God and how real it is. You want to know who is well off? He talks about those people who are, who are blessed by God because of Jesus. You, you want to know uh, who's a good person? People who have been permeated by the righteousness of God that then expresses itself in love. Jesus answers that question. How do I become a good person? And you, you intend to move that way, and then you take on the means that God has given you um, in order to live that way. Jesus answers that. What do I do with evil and suffering in the world? You entrust that along with everything else to Jesus. Jesus. Jesus has the best answers to the most important questions of life. So ask good questions. I think one of the challenges for you and for me is to be like Philip in this. Are we the kind of people who get invited into people's lives in order to get into those conversations? If people know, listen church, if people know that you're a follower of Jesus, whether it's a teenager or whether it's a, a, an adult or, or somebody who's kind of advanced in age, senior adult, however you want to phrase it. But if they know that you're a follower of Jesus, you have a lot to bring to the table, and I think they probably actually expect you to. The question is, are we the kind of people who get invited up into the chariot, if you will, of people's lives? Do we get invited up into these conversations? If you ask your questions and you do indeed get invited up, please don't assume that their curiosity will get them to where they need to be. That's why he says in verse 31, um, and the Ethiopian said, how can I unless someone guides me? You have something to say in that moment, so say it. Don't just assume that their curiosity will get them to where they need to go. Say it. Speak up. Not only ask good questions, but start where they are. This is what Philip did in verse 35. Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news. So you have to start where they are. Please don't wish that they were different. I mean, you might wish that they were different, but that's not healthy. That's not, hope, that's not helpful at all. Um, I, I point this out this way. Uh, here's a question. Did Jesus wish that you were different when he got a hold of you? Or did he accept you right where you were? That's not rhetorical, people. I know it's raining outside. It's kind of sleepy in here. No, no, no. Did Jesus wish you were different, or did he start with you where you were? Which one? He started where you were. Aren't we glad for that? Then offer to them the same thing that Jesus offered to you. Well, I don't, I don't know. But I've got all these excuses, all these... Hey, just start wherever they are. Start there. Beginning with this Scripture... It's where Philip started. Beginning with that point, that's, that's where he moved. And then lastly, ask good questions, start where they are, and thirdly, be clear about the gospel. Be clear about the gospel. 
Um, he, he was. He said, beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And some of you, even this week, are going to get into a conversation and you'll be um, ask you questions. Hey, I talk, talked about this church. Okay, I ask you a question. Okay, I'm going to start where you are. I get where you are. I'm going to start there. And then you'll get to the point where you'll be uh, over chips and salsa or having a cup of coffee or something where you will have the opportunity to be clear about the gospel. And if, if you get to that moment, I want to encourage you, if you can remember three words, you can you can really help somebody spiritually. You ready for word number one? You ready? You ready? Are you ready? Boy, this is, we're struggling today. Help me, team. Help me. All right. Number one, rescue. Everybody say it with me. Rescue. The mission of Jesus is not, hey, let's just go make these people better people. The mission of Jesus is what? It's a rescue mission because there are people who are lost and they need to be found. Well, I don't know that I'm a bad person. It doesn't matter if you're a bad person. That's not really the issue. The issue is you're lost and you need to be found. Therefore, Jesus is on a rescue mission. Everybody say rescue. A little participation. Maybe we'll get going here. Secondly, number two, word number two, resurrection. Everybody say it. Resurrect. Okay, so word number one. Rescue and then resurrection. Okay, Jesus died in order to rescue us, and then he came back from the dead to secure our forgiveness and our freedom so that we can live with him forever. That's the good news. Jesus has come after us to rescue us, and he has died, and he didn't stay dead. He came back from the dead. Resurrection. And in light of Jesus' rescue mission, and in light of his death and resurrection, the third word is repent. Somebody? Repent. So we've got word number one is rescue. Word number two, resurrection. Word number three. Okay, it's weird that the 830 was more awake than y'all, okay? I mean, let's come on. Let's snap, people. Uh, so I'm saying that to say this. It's three simple words, but if you can remember those three R's, uh, rescue, resurrection, repent, you can be clear about the gospel with people in light of who God is, in light of what he's done, in light of him sending his son on a rescue mission, and he died and he was resurrected by the power of God, then you and I, we need to turn away from ourselves and our stuff and all the self-destruction that goes along with that and turn to Jesus. That's what we need to do. That's what repentance means. Seizing the opportunity demands we share who Jesus is. Secondly, and quickly, seizing the opportunity ruins you and me for the ordinary. Like, we don't settle for anything superficial anymore. When we get a taste of this, it changes us. We don't settle for anything superficial in our own lives. Philip did not settle for anything less. He wasn't going to settle for anything less. The next time we encounter Philip after Acts 8 is Acts 21. Paul's on the way back to Jerusalem. He stops at Caesarea at the house of Philip the Evangelist. That's what his name was at that point. Who had daughters. He had raised up these godly women who spoke prophetic things to the church. That's no ordinary life, folks. He stepped into that obedience and he seized the opportunity and it ruined him. He was not going to tolerate anything superficial in his life. He had a story that was big enough to live in. Not only his own life, but also transformation in the lives of others. That, that's going to be the only thing that satisfies. We're not going to settle for seeing just something small happen. We want to see God explode in somebody's life. And so, um, and here's the great thing. As we obey and as we seize these opportunities, we never know the echoes and how far they go. 
So, God said, when the Spirit comes upon you, you'll receive power and you'll be my witnesses. This is Acts 1.8. In Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria. That's the first part of Acts chapter 8. And then even to the ends of the earth. Ethiopia, the ends of the earth if you're from Jerusalem. And God had raised Philip up and sent him there to do what? To speak the word to this Ethiopian so that he would carry it to the Ethiopian nation. And Philip was obedient. He sees that opportunity. And history has it that this guy went and um, the church in Ethiopia exploded. And it, it was faithful and sustained for centuries such that some cat named Michael the deacon from the Ethiopian church went to Europe in the 1500s, met up with another guy named Martin Luther. Everybody heard about him before? And was a part of of shaping his thought that became the Protestant Reformation. Because Philip got up when the Spirit said, get up and go down to the chariot, he went. We never know the echoes. Here's the caution. It deserves. You may end up in a different place than you expected. This is what happened to Philip, verse 39. Oh, excuse me. Let's, let's pick up verse 36. They were going along the road. As they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? That's the picture of transformation right there. Now, here's a question. Where were they again? What kind of place was it? A desert place. And yet, what did they find? You can trust that God will provide exactly what you need when you need it. Verse 38. And they commanded the chariot to stop, and they went down, both of them went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Verse 39, this is the caution part. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. Verse 40, but Philip found himself at Azotus, some 20 miles away, and as he passed through and preached the gospel uh, to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So in the baptism, he baptizes the guy. It's like, yeah, that's awesome. Where'd Philip go? Azotus, how'd I end up in here? I mean, this is that moment where he ended up in a different place than you expected. And you and I, as we obey, as we seize the opportunities, we may end up in a different place than we expect. Well, I thought my life was going to go this way. Philip thought, I'll go down to the road and end up in Gaza. Oh, wait a minute. I'm not going to end up in Gaza. I'm going to climb on board this guy's chariot. I'm going to end up in Ethiopia and I'm going to preach the gospel down there. Oh, wait, I'm not going to Ethiopia. Apparently, I'm going to Azotus. None of which was planned. None of which was expected. All of which was obedience. I think you and I suffer sometimes in suburbia from defining success as getting to the place we think we need to be instead of success as being faithful to the God who's leading us. You may end up in a different place than you expected. Here's what I want you to know, though. No matter how it goes, God has never left you. He has never abandoned you. It was the Spirit who put him on the road to Gaza, and it was the Spirit who took him to Azotus. I say that to say this. He never once has abandoned you. Not once. It may be hard, but man, your obedience is right there. He was right there with you in your obedience. It may be tough, but you, he is right there with you in your obedience. And because he, you have never been abandoned by God, listen, church family, you can abandon yourself to him. And that's where I want to leave us.
Not for a single moment have you ever been abandoned by God. Church, that frees us up to abandon ourselves to Him. Is there a place of obedience that God has spoken that you've said, no, or not yet? You've never been abandoned by Him. But you can abandon yourself to Him. So let's pray, and then we'll have a moment to respond. Um, indeed, Father, thanks for rain outside. That's a blessing. What we need inside, God, is you to move like that on us. Holy Spirit, as much as you have spoken this morning, and the ways that you have spoken to your people, God, I'm asking now that um, you would use if you will, spiritual rain to water that seed so that it bears fruit. Wherever we are, God, however you've spoken, I pray that you would help us to know that you have not left us once. We are not abandoned by you, no. Now, God, we can give ourselves fully to you. Church family, I'm going to invite us here in just a moment to stand. And what I, as we stand and sing a song of response, if you need to come do some business with the Lord by yourself, there's kneeling benches up here. Maybe you just want to come kneel here at the steps. Just put some things before God and say, God, I'm going to abandon myself to you. If you're carrying a burden, you need somebody to pray with you, I'll be at the back and I'll be happy to um, pray along with you for that. Spirit, come and do what you want to do. Even this moment, may we seize this moment. And I ask that in Jesus' name.